0: Welcome, everyone, to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today, our weekly podcast. We're really glad you joined us. We've been in the midst of a discussion around some of the debilitating self talk that keeps us in bondage and prevents us from experiencing true success, which really denies our opportunity for happiness, true joy, and fulfillment. And Brian joined me last time and he's joined me again today. And Brian, you know, as we reflect on the question, what are you choosing, and how that emanates from the second question, is what are you believing? We had some conclusions in our last podcast that I think you brought some points up at the end about if you want to be loved and you want to give love, you have to think critically about how your beliefs determine how you respond. You know, it's that phrase that we've talked about constantly, the beliefs, values, and principles that are built into your life determine how you respond in every situation, And sometimes when we keep asking ourselves about the way we respond, we need to go back and look at what are the core beliefs that are causing us to respond in that way. And you mentioned at the end that this was certainly a worthy endeavor. It was something that we needed to look at, and it's worth identifying the elephant in the room, that negation in your mind that keeps us stuck and keeps us in bondage. We need to take on that challenge and ride the elephant because riding the elephant is is negating the negations in our mindset. Your thoughts on that, Brian, as you've had a chance to reflect on our conversation from last week.
0: Yeah, that's right. That the negations are false beliefs. That they come from an old way of thinking. They come from not critical thinking, but... Ideas, or beliefs that were planted or we created based on past experiences. And we shoot down new beliefs that could open the door to healing and growth and trying new ideas, critically thinking, and all those positive behaviors that really allow growth and transcendence. So I'm curious, then, how do we replace negation?
1: Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is recognize that negations exist. The problem is that we really don't consider what are our core beliefs that cause us to have these negations in the first place. We just continue to do what we always have done, we continue to respond the way we always have, but... If we were to sit back and reflect and say, what am I believing in my mindset right now that causes me to keep having this thought, this negation is a negative feeling that we have, that we either project in our vocabulary or project in our conversations. And we also have these internal conversations that we have these negative beliefs about ourselves that many of them aren't even true. So I think what we need to do is reflect on those and admit that they're there and then go through the process of critically thinking and purposely put in a new intention that replaces that negation. Sometimes it takes going back and reconsidering what I took on as a belief earlier on in my life or maybe what I took on last week or what I took on 10 years ago or 30 years ago and reflect on that and say, hey, is that really true today? Or would I be better served by handling that in a different way? Because our beliefs are revealed in every thought we have and every word we say and every deed we carry out. So reevaluating your pre-existing core beliefs, I think, is one way that we can start considering our negations. Another way is just uncovering our blind spots. And sometimes it takes wise counsel to sit down with us and have that conversation with us and ask us questions that cause us to critically think about, hey, let's look at this differently today and see if we can come up with a different awareness and a self-discovery and make a new decision about it. I think oftentimes there's significant emotional events in our life that keep us stuck and that we could hold on to being angry or hatred or unforgiveness. Many times we take on the dogma of what other people have projected on us. And as long as it's projected on us and we never really critically think it through, it's still dogma. It's their expression of what they believe. And they throw it on you and you buy into it hook, line and sinker without ever critically thinking it through. Because when you critically think it through you may come up with the same conclusion that used to be dogma now it's a core belief and i think that's important we do that and i think there's a lot of fear-based beliefs we have we're afraid of things we have people with anxiety They fear that situation is going to happen again that happened before so they operate out of fear instead of really having a different precept that causes them to respond differently So I think one of the things we can do as we break down some of those negations, Brian, once we recognize it, is we can place new precepts in our internal dialogue and really start changing the conversation we have with ourselves, and the conversations we have with others.
0: Well, just quickly, what do you mean by precept?
1: A precept is a personal intention statement. It is something that we have set back and said, all right, after thinking this through, I'm going to put a purposeful intention on being a certain way. I'm going to put a purposeful intention on saying certain things. My old behavior was to get angry. My new behavior is going to be patient and tolerant. My old behavior was being unforgiving. My new behavior is going to be more forgiving. So basically what we're saying is a precept is a principle or an I will statement or a personal intention that we're going to start incorporating in our mindset, not only in our conversations with other people, but in our conversations within. I think when we stop complaining to everybody else and start affirming other people, then stop complaining and start affirming. That's a new precept if you've always been a complainer. If you've always been unforgiving, a new precept is to be forgiving. And so it's a choice that we make. And sometimes we say it, I'm going to be more forgiving, but then it doesn't really happen immediately because precepts are intentions. They take time to be integrated into our mindset. And if we start hanging around with people, and bring in wise counsel into our life that can support us in having precepts that are more affirming to ourselves and to others we then can see a change and we can begin to mitigate these negations over time it isn't something that will happen in 24 hours it will happen if you continuously put purposeful intention on having a different precept incorporating the so. new belief
0: so, a precept is a stated principle. It's a statement. It's something yes. that you say to yourself in your head or out loud, or you say to others, right? It's, yes. It's the stated principle of how you intend to be or how you intend to think, right? And so, I feel like a negation is any statement that starts with, I can't. Like, that's a really popular negation starter. I can't do that. I can't forgive because what happened to me was so terrible. I can't do well in this particular field of thought or study because I didn't get good grades in that particular area in school. Yes. I can't get along with that person. They just rub me the wrong way. So I can't or I don't or I am not. Instead of saying I am, A negation is saying, I am not, or I don't. For example, one negation that I remember hearing was, I don't believe that talking to a stranger about my problems is going to help me solve my problem. To have an attitude about certain experiences that that's too scary for me, that's not going to be helpful for me, I don't believe in that, I can't do that, those are negations right? Yes. So a precept is a alternative affirmation. It's a yes statement or a, I can statement or I am statement, right? I am capable. I will try this on. I'm scared of it. I don't believe in it. I don't believe that going and talking (laughs) to someone about my problems is going to help me solve my problems. However, I will try it anyway. Right. Yes.
1: Yes. I think in addition to having a statement that's negative, it also is an emotive feeling. It's I'm angry or I hate. Yeah. I feel unloved. Those are I feel I feel unworthy. Yes. yes. An emotive feeling that is a negative feeling is also a negation. Yeah. You're negating your being, you're negating your purpose, you're negating your person by being angry, by being hateful, by being unforgiving, by being a victim, by being bitter, by lamenting the things that have happened to me in my past. Those are negations as well. So it's negative self-talk and it's negative emotions that lead to negative self-talk. Yeah.
0: Self-talk is, I mean, that's just a really important concept. If, as a listener, you haven't heard of the idea of self-talk, we also use the phrase internal dialogue. Yes. And that is, really, what are you saying to yourself? It's your thinking. It's the conversation that you're having with yourself, right? Yeah. And you're saying that if that's really negative, you're going to have really negative feeling your disposition is going to be defaulted to shutting things down being stuck blocking out new ways of thinking and blocking out new precepts and just repeating those i hate i am angry i am not capable i am stuck
1: You know, those things
0: often feel very real and true in the moment.
1: It's a very unhappy place to be. It's a very unfulfilled place to be. It's a very debilitating place to be. If you look and say, why am I so unhappy in my life? Why do I regret getting out of bed in the morning? Why do I regret being in relationship with other people? Why do I regret going to work? Why do I regret seeing my family? When you start having all these negative feelings, it's really because you have these negations floating around in your self-talk, your internal dialogue that keep you stuck. And until you recognize negations are actually beliefs that you have about yourself, many of which are untrue or many which you've decided when you were 10 years old or 15 years ago or 20 years ago, and do they really apply today? You know, and that's the thing I'm asking the listener to consider, is to go back and look at those and make a new decision about that. Because if you start thinking about it differently, as Napoleon Hill said in his classic Think and Grow Rich, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe he can achieve, which also would restate that in talking about negations and precepts, if we can keep introducing precepts into our life that we continue to say them and start to believe them we can achieve this change in our mindset and this change in this posture and this demeanor that we have in our everyday life and that's really what we're looking at here as we look at the value of negating negations with precepts
0: so what does a person do in this transformation from negation to, what do you call them, a positive
1: precept? Well, I would say a precept is positive by definition, in that a precept is really designed to be affirmative in building up and to create a better feeling in yourself and in others. A precept is like a guiding principle that I would want to live by. And it's based out of the underpinning of a guiding principle or precept is a belief and a value, a belief that's more affirmative and more supportive of you than some of the other beliefs that are leading to these negative feelings and negative thoughts. And I think that's where you really have to start asking yourself the question, why am I responding this way? Why am I responding so negatively? Why do people walk away from me and just shake their head and don't want to be around me? Why can't I love somebody? Why can't anybody love me? And you have to start asking yourself these questions and have some self-awareness about that and say, okay, what do I do about that? And you can begin to go to wise counsel, have those conversations. You can start incorporating precepts in your mind that would cause you to think differently about it. So, for example, Brian, you know, I sent you a list of sample precepts, maybe 16 or 17 of them, this morning before the podcast because I wanted to have some examples of precepts that we could talk about. Let's start talking about how a precept can be applied, and then we can maybe back up the train and understand how it ties into a belief. So, if you look at those precepts that I sent you, And in the book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, there's hundreds of precepts that I put in there as samples that people can consider incorporating in their mindset. Is there a precept on that list that kind of strikes you as saying, hey, this fits for me, or I've seen this fit for other people, and it's a hard one to make happen in my life? Any of those stick out to you?
0: I noticed that a couple of them start with I am. But they mostly all start with, I will. And the one, I will make my relationship more important than my need to be right.
1: <laughs> <is an>
0: interesting <laughs> one.
1: <laughs> yeah, that triggers an interesting thought. I think most people, and it can apply to you as well, and it has applied to me more in the past than it does today. My need to be right was the most important thing. And you know what? I was right and I was going to tell you how wrong you were and how right I was. <laughs> and I had all the justification for everything, but in my need to be so right and make the other person so wrong, the relationship suffered. And in fact, I've had relationships end because of my need to be right. So what would you rather be right or be in relationship? And I think you have to make that fundamental choice. Some people are still saying to this day, I'm right, and I need to be right. And other people are saying, you know, being right right now is the most important thing. What's most important is being in a relationship. And I think that's a great precept to live by. It's one that I incorporated for myself years back. And it took a long time to get used to that because I wanted to say something that was right and correct the person who had it wrong, you know, I bit my tongue, had a bloody lip, because I just made a decision I'm not going to go down that path. And as a result, I had better relationships, because I gave up the need to be right. And I think that's very important. The other thing that we do is you're around people who they like to one up other people. So someone will say something. And then they're immediately thinking, Oh, I have a better story than that. Oh, I've been there I went to a better concert than that. I went to a better doctor than this. I had a better restaurant. They want to one-up the experience that the person's talking about. And again, it's like, what is that about? The other person brought it up. Let them talk about it. Let them have the conversation about it. Ask them some questions about it. Show interest and show excitement. That's really wonderful. Yeah. I'm glad you had a great vacation. But instead, we have a tendency, you went on a vacation there and you didn't go see this? The next time you go back, you have to go to this thing. Well, that just totally minimizes the person's trip, you know, because they missed out of the thing that they could have gone to that they didn't think of going. And now you're making them feel less than because you're making it about you have a better story than they have. It's so amazing to me as I watch people have a better story than what they're listening to. And they can't even stay present in the moment to listen to what the person is saying. And just have a joyous feeling about that, that they had this great experience, that they're going to go ahead and one-up them and minimize that to make themselves look better. It's puffing yourself up at the expense of another person. So would you rather be right or would you rather be in a relationship? To me, it's a no-brainer. Okay? But I spent so much of my life needing to be right. And it yeah. costs me so much. And it's like, you know, when are we going to wake up and recognize that we can do it differently? Sometimes just saying to yourself, would I rather be right or would I rather be in a relationship? Just that statement alone causes you to respond so differently to a myriad of different situations. And so differently to relationships that are meaningful in your life. It's, yeah. it's just incredible. So, when you think of that precept, Brian, how does that fit for you?
0: Uh, it relates to another one of the precepts on the list, which is I will ask questions. Oh, uh, yes. Like, that's a really powerful principle. We've talked about Socratic method on the podcast before, yeah. and maybe Socratic method is a little different, like you know, a little nuanced in a different way. But just like you're saying, I will ask questions instead of telling my idea or always telling my stories. And this is one of my precepts. I will ask questions. And just this week, I had a really cool experience with a gentleman who I had kind of bumped into a couple of times. And we finally had a conversation and started to get to know each other. Well, I got to know him. And I just kept asking him questions. You told me one time always ask questions without interrogating someone. Just be curious about someone. You said, you know, if you were at like a speed dating type thing and you were going through all the different people there rotating through the tables and of all the conversations to be had, people enjoy talking about themselves. And when they look back on all the people that they talk to through the rotation, they're gonna remember the conversation where you ask them a lot of questions. And they're gonna think to themselves, wow, that was a really interesting conversation. And it's because of you asking them questions, showing an interest in them. And so I do that all the time, especially with people that I'm just meeting. And It's funny, I walked away from this interaction. He obviously felt good about the interaction. I felt good about the interaction because we had a good conversation. But he knows next to nothing about me because I did very little telling. I did a lot of asking. You know, Oh, you were in the military. Oh, what branch were you in? Oh, what's the picture on the background on your phone? Is that your girlfriend? Oh, that's your wife? How long have you guys known each other? just question after question, and the conversation just rolls, and now I felt like I established a rapport with this gentleman. And it's a very positive and fulfilling thing to walk away from a conversation feeling that was a good conversation that I had with that person. And it's all just, again, without interrogating people, just genuine curiosity about them. And that comes from that precept I do it all the time. I say, I will ask questions. I'm always trying to think of the next question to ask. And sometimes I'll think of a story, and if it's appropriate, I'll tell one of my stories. I don't totally keep myself a mystery. But as a rule, it's best to always go back to curiosity.
1: Yeah, for sure, Brian. And what happens with that is most people find themselves thinking about that next question or thinking about what else they're curious about about this person, they're thinking about what they're going to say next. And they're thinking about, oh, i got to tell them about this story, or i got to tell them about that. And it's like, wait a minute. That totally takes away from what you just described. So here we have two precepts that we just talked about, and we've had this great discussion around how we're going to respond to people differently just by buying into this precept. That's the value of looking at the precepts and saying, okay, if this precept applied in my life, what would have to happen in order for it to apply in my life? That's where you back up the train, go back and look and say, what is it that I'm believing that's causing me not to do that? And then all of a sudden popcorn starts popping and it's like, oh, this idea comes up and that idea comes up. But just right here, you came up with three or four different ideas or things that just popped up as you operated under this precept that we just talked about. So that's why I think it's so powerful, and that's why it mitigates negations.
0: I definitely see it. I'm a believer. This whole idea of a precept, a principle, an I will statement, it's the best way to substitute your negation, trying on these precepts. Another really, really good one on this list is I will have affirming and esteem-building dialogue with myself and others. That's a big one. Can you kind of define what that means for us? So I have an idea about what it means. What does that mean? I will have affirming and esteem-building dialogue
1: with myself and others. Well, I think one of the things that is so important when we make the decision and we make the proclamation that I will have affirming and steam building internal dialogue, and I'll have affirming, steam building dialogue with others, I start to think of the qualities that I would like to aspire to or that I want to emulate because I see them work so well in other people. Or I want to recognize a person for a character quality that is meaningful to them. A few podcasts ago, you were talking about your son who experienced an esteem-building, affirming experience when he was collecting all the candy after the drop of the pinata. And uh, he packed his bag full of candy like most of the kids did. And when he was walking away, he saw one of the girls standing off to the side, timidly, not wanting to get into the fray for any number of reasons. She had an empty bag with no candy in it. And your son stopped as he walked by her and recognized it, and he started putting handfuls of candy in her bag. Yep. And that was an affirming esteem-building experience for him to do that to her. However, you plus the experience by affirming him for his gratefulness and generosity, and it lifted him up. So when you make an affirming comment, you lift up the esteem that a person has for themselves. In other words, esteem is the level of respect you have for yourself. And if you can lift up the level of respect another person has for themselves because of affirming them for a quality you see in them, that means a lot. And you can do that for yourself, too. There's a lot of affirming comments you can make to yourself. I love myself just the way I am is one. Well, you say, okay, fine. However, there's a lot of people who don't love themselves. A lot of people who don't feel worthy. So when you have a belief that you're unworthy and you're unlovable, that's very debilitating to your esteem. So what type of precepts can you create in your own dialogue that causes you to have a different feeling about that? I love myself just the way I am. I'm doing the best I can with the prevailing awareness I have at this time. And you really start buying into that and believing that it begins to change your respect you have for yourself. So, we find that we have these esteem-building experiences for ourselves and others. And I think one of the things that really is important for me, I had a hard time doing it to myself. But when I started to create esteem-building experiences for other people by affirming them for their character and the qualities I saw in them that I felt that needed to be identified and maybe no one ever told them these things, but I was very poignant and very specific to identify a quality I saw in them. And then what happened was I started to develop relationships that were more affirming of each other. So I was affirming to the other person, the person who was affirming back to me. So if you're in a significant relationship you want to be fed by that relationship, you want that relationship to grow, you want it to be stronger. The first thing you have to do is stop asking the other person to love you and stop asking the person to expect that they love you. Give first, and you shall receive. Give an affirmation first. Give a character quality that you're observing another person. Let them experience that. And when that person experiences it, before you know it, they're going to give you an affirming, esteem-building comment back. And that's the kind of relationships you want to have that are mutually beneficial, that build each other up, because it's more important to be in relationship than anything. Yeah. And that's really ways to do that. And when you start doing it to other people, it's easier for you to receive it for yourself. Yeah. Because you want other people to receive your affirmation. So many people when you tell them, oh, you're great. You're wonderful. You're just so loving. You're so good. Oh, no, 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 no. They discount it. It's like, I'm not even worthy to hear that. No, be gracious. Yeah. Be a good receiver of an affirmation. Because if you don't, they might stop coming.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, you wouldn't turn your Christmas presents away. Well, maybe somebody would. But if you like it, it's like, open that gift or receive it. Say thank you. Mm -hmm. And maybe think of an affirmation that you can give in return. It's kind of silly how simple it is. It's like, oh, show active esteem and affirm others, and that will grow their self-esteem. Go figure. And as their self-esteem grows, they might just turn around and affirm you. And your self-esteem will grow. Go figure.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's exactly what happens, Brian. And it's as simple as starting with a positive precept.
0: Yeah. People mirror each other. I think it's natural to mirror the people around you. So if you can be a affirmation leader or an esteem leader, then the people in your life are going to mirror those affirmations and esteem back to you.
1: Absolutely. And it's more than just,
0: you're great. No, you're great. No, you're the best. No, you're the best.
1: It's, (laughs) Hey,
0: I saw you do this thing. I saw you help this person. I heard what you said there. And I thought that was such a respectful honoring thing to say to that person. I just wanted to say you show a lot of deference to people. What does that mean? Oh, you have a way of always showing respect to people and I admire that about you. To just make observations about the wonderful things that are happening around you is a good place to start, but then to go deeper into the character qualities that beget those moments. Yeah. That's what an affirmation is really about,
1: yeah. getting to the and root
0: you, of the behavior.
1: Exactly. And when you start doing that to other people, it just grows in you. And you do it more candidly. You do it without so much effort. And then all of a sudden, it starts coming full circle. It comes back to you. So the best way to build this up in your life and have this precept come alive is to put it to use start saying these things, start believing them, and then it just grows and grows and it becomes who you are. And it's a wonderful experience. And then you can look back and say, wow, boy, this is different. And people will start saying, you're different now because you have made this switch. And what happens is some of those negative relationships you have, what I call codependent relationships, people that like to keep each other stuck, they go away. You know, you heard about the story about the crabs and the buckets, right? Crabs can't get out of a bucket. Yeah,
0: that's yeah a great I, we'll explain
1: that. Let's tell that story. When a crab says, I'm getting out of this bucket, I can't stand it anymore, and they start climbing to the top, they get their claw up on the rim, and they start pulling themselves up, the other crabs will grab them and pull them back down. So it's the crab in the bucket philosophy of life. We put ourselves in situations that keep us stuck because... We are around people that want to stay stuck. And when you start having affirming precepts and you start having those about yourself and about others, those relationships either change with you or they go away and you create new ones. And that's what's really, really awesome about making this shift. Is there any other yeah. precepts that came up for you, Brian, that could cause us to have a little discussion about how they apply?
0: Oh, yeah. There's this list in front of me, and they're all really good, actually. There's 16 of them here, and these are all in the book, and then some, right? Oh, yes. So you can find a list of precepts in Ride the Elephant, because you recorded a menu, if you will, of different precepts that one could choose. So let's see. I will see failure as an opportunity to learn.
1: That's a good one. Yeah, why did that ring out to you as a good one?
0: Because, <laughs> I don't know, that syncs up with age-old wisdom. If at first you don't succeed, come up with a slightly different plan and try try again. And Failure is terrifying. I think that most of us don't have a positive outlook about failure. It's embarrassing. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. That's the negation, but You're saying, try this on. I will embrace failure. Failure is inevitable. And when it happens, I will see it as an opportunity to learn. I will see it as a chance to grow. And you can spin any mistake that you made as an opportunity to say, this is what I did. This is where it went wrong. Note to self, let's not do that again. I will learn from this failure and I'm going to do it differently next time
1: if I'm not failing I'm not trying Brian
0: yeah if I'm not failing I'm not (laughs) challenging myself Right. (laughs) if it doesn't feel like it's falling apart at the seam I'm not (laughs) I'm not challenging myself enough so it's like so what if I fail so what it hurts a little bit we go skiing And we start them young in our clan. And it's like, yeah, you're going to fall. And it's scary. And you're going to have a failure. But you learn eventually how to stay on your feet and go down the hill safely. And yeah, you just push through that fear and you're going to come out on the other side improved. I also really like, I'm aware that explaining, defending, and justifying is just my attempt to escape personal responsibility, which we've talked about before on a previous, seems like a long time ago now, but making excuses versus just saying, well, I messed up. I'm going to take personal responsibility. This is what I'm going to do different. Let's move forward.
1: Yeah. Those two tie together the... Seeing failure as an opportunity and no need to explain, defend, and justify. Take personal responsibility for what happened. You know what? I learned something. Let's move on. And we have a tendency to want to make excuses. It's kind of a cultural norm. We're always trying to blame somebody else. We're always making excuses instead of just taking personal responsibility for it. And people respect people who take personal responsibility for things like that. They do really, really do. Do you respect a person who's just sitting there blaming someone else? I mean, does that garner any respect? No. So if you want to have an esteem-building experience, take personal responsibility for something that happened. And the person looks at you and says, wow, you, know, you didn't blame anybody. You just took it and said, let's figure out a way. Let's not point the fingers. Let's find a solution. Because blaming doesn't solve anything. But looking at the situation and saying, what could I have done differently to set us up for success? That is a better alternative and one that garners respect versus you complaining and blaming and making excuses. It's it's as simple as saying, I will take personal responsibility for everything that happens in my life. So when I live out that precept, Brian, I say, okay, now do I really? Well, I attempt to. So my go-to is, okay, what could I have done different? Instead of putting my finger on another person, that precept, the first thing that causes me to do is say, okay, what is my part in this? What was my part of the mischief? What could I have done different? Did I ask somebody to do something that didn't have the capacity to do it? So now I can blame them later? Where if I would have thought about it, I didn't give them the education. I didn't give them the training. I didn't see the skill set in them that they could do it successfully. So why did I give it to them in the first place? So now instead of blaming them, I'm taking personal responsibility for not setting them up for success or having a chance for them to be successful. So now I need to go back and apologize to the person when they have a failure and say, you know, I really didn't set you up for success. I regret that. And I'm going to do better next time. Let's have an agreement that the next time I ask you to do something and you feel uneasy about it, maybe you can't do it or you're not sure you can do it. Let's have a conversation before we start because there's maybe some things I can do differently to cause you to have a better result. Well, that's taking personal responsibility for everything that happens to me. And just that mindset, just that core belief causes me to engage with another person that something went south on, and have a better outcome. It just blows me away that we don't take these precepts and apply them to our life. Because when we do, we start responding differently to the situations that are occurring to us and around us.
0: That reminds me of a legendary story of Stephen Ballmer, who was the vice president of Microsoft for years. He was. Bill Gates, right-hand man. and This is for my fellow video game players out there. Anybody who's close to my age will remember when the second-generation Xbox came out, the Xbox 360, they had this issue called the Red Ring of Death, which is basically a system failure. It's a hardware failure in that model of the Xbox. And they had a 100% fail rate nearly every Xbox 360 that went off the shelves at the beginning would eventually have this red ring of death. So the Xbox team went to the brass, and the story goes, this legendary story of the legendary Stephen Ballmer. He said, hey, we got to fix this. We messed up. This is the mistake. And instead of pointing fingers and firing people, he went into the emergency fund, And he said, any Xbox that has this problem, we're going to send them a box to ship it back to us, and we're either going to send them a new one, or we're going to refurbish it, and we're going to do it for free. We're going to pay for shipping, we're going to pay for the repairs, we're going to pay for the replacement, and they bit the bullet, and everybody was so mad that the Xboxes were failing, but everybody in that community forgave and said... Thank you for making it right. And it was a bold and expensive decision for Stephen Ballmer to take that leadership and say, we're going to make this right. And it ended up salvaging all of that bad press that people had had around the failure of those Xboxes. And and he saved the day. And that's a personal responsibility thing. you got to bite the bullet sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's a great example, Brian. You know, it's a very positive spin on taking a negative situation where he could have explained defended, justified, could have blamed, could have gone through all kinds of other contortions that we all seem to go through. But when he has a yeah. core precept, a core belief that we're going to make it right, we're doing the best they can with the awareness that we had at the time, now let's fix it. Yeah. Powerful, powerful story. Hey, Brian, we're kind of running toward the end of our time here. Any final thoughts before we close?
0: This is great. This list of precepts is something that there's something in here for everybody. I would encourage your listeners to pick up a copy of ride the elephant, a journey to true success and find that list of precepts that you have in there and start trying those on.
1: Yeah, that's a great starting point, Brian. And thank you for that. And I just want to thank everybody for joining us today for Ride the Elephant today, and join us again next week for another fantastic episode of Ride the Elephant. Have a great day.
0: Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week.